0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We're going to continue Thanks, our 4M Discipleship series. We started last week. We've been called to make disciples, Amen. To make disciples is to declare Jesus Christ as Lord, to talk about, to declare what he did for us so that we might ultimately be saved, so that other people might ultimately be saved. We've been told by the word of God to make disciples. And that's what we talked about last week in this 4M discipleship. I'm going to go through four things, four teachings, and they all come from Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. If you want to know how to reproduce yourself and God in you, this is what the Word of God tells us. Jesus, before his ascension, said to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make people that act like me by telling them about me and teach them how to walk in the love and the ministry and the mission that I've been given. That is a disciple baptize them in the name of the Father. That means to mark them, to show that they belong to me. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, that is to mature them. And then ultimately, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's saying, because I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, I need you to keep doing that. I need you to multiply them. So our mandate is, According to what we call the Great Commission, is to make disciples, to mark them through water baptism, to mature them by teaching them all that we've been taught, and then by multiplying them, by continuing to do so all the days of our life, and teach others generationally to do the same. Amen? And so that's what we talked about, that's what we talked about last week, was the Make them peace. Today, I want to talk to you about marking them. That is to baptize them. We've been told to mark them. The marking process shows physically who we are, who we belong to. But we're not the only culture in the world. Most cultures, in fact, have a marking thing that they do. They have a marking process. The Polynesian Islands all have tattoos and markings to prove their ancestry, their rank amongst the elders, all of these things. They are marked to show that they belong. Not only that, but in, in regard to those around the world, including South America, Africa, they still perform body scarring, signaling their transition from adulthood or to adulthood to prove their strength and tolerance. Jews mark themselves by being circumcised to show that they are in alignment with the covenant that God made with Abraham. They're saying, I belong to this, and this proves that to be the case, that that to be true. The Jews do this, or the Jews, even cattlemen do this, and that if they get some cows that belong to them, they look like every other cow. All of us look like everyone else, but they pull them out because they belong to them, and they brand them to show this one belongs to me. When we get baptized, we are essentially declaring that we belong to God through Christ Jesus. That's our marking process. Now, here at Launch Point Church, we have a statement of faith in regard to baptism. There are things that we believe about baptism, and those things are written down so you could study them for yourself, but I want to read you our Launchpoint Church's statement of faith. Water baptism is only intended for the individual who has received the saving benefits of Christ's atoning work and who has become his disciple. In obedience to Christ's command, and as a testimony to God, the church, oneself, and the world, a believer should be immersed in water in the name of Jesus. Water baptism is a visual and symbolic demonstration of a person's union with Christ in the likeness of his death and resurrection. It signifies that a former way of life has been put to death and vividly depicts a person's release from the mastery of sin. That's what Launch Point believes to be true about baptism. But honestly, that's, that's a bunch of religious words, so I want to talk to you about what that means. I've never heard a sermon, and I'm sure there are, and I'm sure maybe even some of you have given them, but I've never heard a sermon front to back that focuses on baptism. And I think that's the reason why there's so much confusion as to the who, what, when, where, how, why in regards to baptism. We're not taught why we should be baptized. We're not taught when we should be baptized. We're not even taught largely who should be baptized. But these things we need to know, not only so that we will know whether or not we're being obedient, but so that we can communicate these truths to other people. Because whatever God has decided to do in you, he expects to do through you. God is not giving me anything that he's not expected me to pass on to someone else. The salvation that I have was given so that I might show his glory, declare the name of Jesus, so other people might be saved too. Everything God gives me, my finances, is designed for my benefit, but through me to the benefit of others. And so I want to talk, I want to spend some focused time talking about what it means to be marked in water baptism. Normally I do uh, exegetical preaching, which means I go line by line, verse by verse, word by word, sometimes comma by comma, which is very frustrating to y'all, I'm sure, but I believe that you can't make the word say what it doesn't say, and you should be very strict in adhering to it. And so for that reason, a lot of times I'll avoid topical teaching. Not necessarily there's anything wrong with that. It's just not my preferred style. Except for today, because I want to, I'm going to give you a topical preaching about baptism. And I have to do that because there's, across the landscape of the New Testament, lies the truth of the who, what, when, where, how, and why we are to be baptized. And so I'm going to do this in three bullet points. And here they are. Here's the first one. Water baptism is commanded, confirmed, and demonstrated within the Scripture. Water baptism is commanded, confirmed, and demonstrated within the Scripture. I want to talk to you real fast about what is normative behavior. And today's going to sound a whole lot more like a teaching than it is a preaching, but I want you to to know When I say what is normative behavior, I mean what is normal within the confines of Scripture? What can I prove I should expect from God in regard to Scripture? So let me explain by by giving you the converse. If if I'm a believer, I can't expect that God, because it's not normative behavior in Scripture, is going to stand the sun still in the sky. That only happened once for a very specific reason. There's no reason for me to think that I can walk in faith believing that God is going to stop the sun. Everybody got that? There's a single instance for a single purpose. There's no real reason to believe it's normative behavior. God parted the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea once for a purpose. There's not an expectation that that's normal behavior for all believers. We're probably not going to go up to, the lake here, put our stick in the water and expect God to part the lake because it's not shown in Scripture as normal behavior. None of us are likely to be able to grab a stick, hit a rock, and expect water to come flowing out of it because God did that once for a particular purpose. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? There are things that God does just to show the majesty and magnificence of who He is. But there are things that can be considered normal. And so we have to look across Scripture and ask ourselves, is baptism normal behavior for the believer, for the person who has confessed Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is yes, because we can find in Scripture in three different places, several more, but I'm going to focus on three, where Jesus commanded it, Peter confirmed it, and Philip demonstrated it. And so let me... Let me do that. First, Jesus commanded it. I've already read this text to you. But he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As a command, our obedience is required of us. Jesus said, This is a command for you that you do this. It isn't a if you want to, if you feel like it, if it's comfortable or convenient for you. The Bible says Jesus commanded them to be baptized. And so our only obligation to a command is to be obedient. That's really the point I'm getting to in this command piece. If Jesus said be baptized, then one, there's an expectation that we should be and that we should be obedient to it. I don't have to pray about whether I should get baptized. No more than I should pray about whether I need to pray. Or if I should pray about whether I'm going to read my word. If the Bible says you should do it, you should do it. I go ask somebody, can you serve at the church? You shouldn't ask. You shouldn't tell me, I'm going to pray about whether God wants me to serve. Now, you may pray about where God wants you to serve. But the fact of the matter is, all of us were placed in this body to serve. That's what makes the body whole and complete. So I don't ha- you shouldn't have to pray about that. You should just be obedient to the fact that you've been called to serve. And I tell people all the time, best way to figure out where you should serve is serve somewhere until God shows you. So Jesus commanded it. We're required to be obedient to it. Now, Baptism doesn't save us. Faith in grace saves us. Amen? But obedience proves us. Let me read this text to you. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments, and we have them. This is the word of God. The commandments of God are the word of God. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Remember I told you, it doesn't save you. It does prove who you belong to. If I say I give my life to the Lord, which is to say Jesus Christ gets to make the decisions in my life based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God, if He determines the path that I take, and then I decide not to take the path He told me to take, then it proves probably that I don't understand Lordship and need to have that conversation again or revisit that. But baptism itself doesn't save you. It proves you. So he says, and I start again, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And this is the beautiful piece. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So he's saying, if you'll keep my commandments, you prove who you are, but also my Father will reciprocate that love to you. And I will love him. And Jesus will reciprocate that love to you. And disclose myself to him. That is one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture in all of your Bible, I think. Because the Bible tells me if I'm obedient and we're being commanded to do something, then I prove myself, God loves me, and he will disclose himself to me. How many of you guys would love to know one more thing about God that you don't currently know? Me too. There's about a million things, I'm sure. I haven't even begun to think about the things I, I can know about God. And you're thinking, man, I just feel like God's not showing himself to me. God's not talking to me. If you're not being obedient to what he's already told you to do, why would he give you something else to be obedient to? Why would he reveal himself to someone who isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing already? Why would he give you step three when you're still stuck in step one? Most of us have way more information than we have revelation because we've never taken the information, submitted it to the Spirit of God so that we can have revelation, which happens only as we're obedient to the Word of God. God, I'm trying to help you today. I want you to walk in revelation. I want you to walk in the knowing that God loves you. But that happens as you're obedient. So Jesus commands it. And in his command, we are to be obedient to it. I feel like I beat that to uh, to death, but that's the truth. Secondly, Peter confirms it. And having preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, declaring Christ Jesus to those in attendance in Acts chapter 2, the the Holy Spirit fell. Peter, empowered by that spirit, stood up and proclaimed the gospel. And in that proclamation, because they heard the gospel message of Jesus, because he took the command to make them seriously, conviction fell on them. You guys ever felt conviction? Some of you may not know what that is. Conviction, I, there's, it's hard to describe it. It's like an elephant sitting on your chest where for whatever reason, you know that that pressure on your chest isn't going away until you call out the name Jesus. Your heart starts racing inside of you like you just saw the woman that you're about to marry and fall in love with. And you can't explain it, you just know Jesus is the answer to the way that you're feeling. That's conviction. And that crowd of people came under conviction. The Bible says, Now, when they heard this, the gospel, they were pierced to their heart. David says his conviction was such that it felt like his bones were breaking inside of his body. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? This is an appropriate response to a revelation of Jesus. Conviction, and then ask, what is it I should do? Most of us need to spend more time asking God, what is it I should do when we feel conviction? Not blow it off, not slip away from it, not try to avoid it, but dive head first into it and ask God by the power of His Holy Spirit and wise counsel and the Word of God, reveal to me what it is you want from me. He said, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said this, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they heard the gospel. They they were convicted. In their conviction, they wanted to know what they should do. He said, Repent, because only Jesus can save you and be baptized. And you'll be saved, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, we need more of that. Amen? So Peter confirms this truth. And then finally, Philip demonstrates this truth. In Acts chapter 8, let me turn there real quick. Acts chapter 8, Philip is in the middle of an incredible time of ministry. It says that he's having a lot of success in ministry. And then God calls him out of that success and tells him to go into the desert where he's going to meet someone. I want to talk about Philip's faith for a minute. Philip was seeing probably hundreds, if not thousands of people through his ministry come to the Lord. And God said, I want you to leave what you call success and go meet this guy. Makes us redefine our parameters of success, doesn't it? Our metrics are off. I had a friend of mine that pastors a church of probably 15 people. His job is to faithfully pastor those 15 people. If God sends him a 1,000, so be it, but his job is to tend to the people that he's been directed to. We got to figure our metric. But anyway, so he has this incredible ministry Sets it down, goes into the desert as he was commanded to, where he meets a eunuch. A very prominent man. And he walks up to him, runs up to him, according to the word. He sees him, he's like, oh, this is the reason I came here. So he runs up to him, and he sees him reading a scroll. Turns out that scroll, according to the quote, is from Isaiah 53. And Peter asked him, he said, and I'm paraphrasing. You can read it in chapter 8 if you'd like. Peter asked him, he said, you know who you're, you're reading about? And he said, how can I know unless someone tells me? And it says, starting from the very beginning, he started telling him about Jesus and who Jesus was and how Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And it's essentially just, just develops the chapter 53 out of Isaiah so that you can clearly see Jesus and what he did. And this is the, this is the eunuch's response. Verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to the water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Which means that at some point Peter told or Philip told him about being baptized, or otherwise he wouldn't have asked the question. He said, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord. if God raised him from the dead because that's how you get saved. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. The eunuch wasn't concerned with who was around, who wasn't around. He was a prominent guy. There was probably many folks on that caravan with him through the desert. But he didn't care about them. He cared about, cared about being obedient. He didn't care about the, about the fact that the water wasn't clean, the water wasn't pure, the water was probably muddy because it was in the middle of the desert. He didn't care about any of those things. You know what he cared about? He cared about being obedient to the command of God. That's what we should be caring about. When I ask people, have you been baptized? Well, I've been waiting on an opportunity for my, for my mama to be here. I'm waiting on an opportunity for this to happen, or I need to make sure that I've done this first or that first. Let me tell you, if you're always waiting on something, you're going to always be waiting on something. It's just the way that it is. There's going to be all the enemy is always going to put an excuse in front of you to keep you from walking in righteousness. And if you continue to allow him to do it, that thing will always be there, albeit sometimes it may be a different thing. Something will always be in the way. So Philip demonstrated it, but first, Jesus commanded it and Peter confirmed it. You know what that means? That means we have all the information we need to know that that's normal behavior for a Christian, that all should be baptized. Mm, It's good. But what did Philip tell the eunuch that made the eunuch believe? He told him about the sufficiency of Christ. Number two, water baptism confesses the sufficiency of Christ's work. Let me go to Acts real fast. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. 1 through 6 reads like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Can y'all smell Paul's sarcasm on that? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. That's a lot of theology, man. Let me explain to you what that's saying. It's saying that Jesus is enough to kill the old you. The work that Jesus Christ did. His death, His burial, His resurrection, not only saves you, but gives you a hope for an eternal future. He accomplished everything necessary to get you from where you were in your flesh, to where you should be in your spirit, to where you are going in your hope. Everything from start to finish begins and ends in Jesus Christ, period. And because of that, we shouldn't use our grace as an opportunity to sin. Because the sin nature in us is dead. To walk in our sin nature is death. To walk in our flesh, according to Romans chapter 8, is death. But to walk according to the Spirit is what? Life. That happens not because you're good. That doesn't happen because you deserve it. That doesn't happen because you did such and such or thinking about doing such and such. It happened because Jesus Christ decided that he wanted to love you, pour his love out on you, die on a cross so that he could be the sufficient atonement, redemption, and sacrifice for our sin. That's what should motivate us to get in the water, saying that I was this guy. I was this death walking around, but I have determined by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ Jesus to be buried in who I was, and because I now belong to Jesus, walk in the newness of who he is. Man, we should be excited about that. All of us, should just want to go take a swim. People say, I got baptized a long time ago. I'm thinking, man, I need to get baptized every week. You know, I'm thinking, really, what am I doing? I'm saying, God's still sufficient. Who I was last week ain't who I am this week. Who I'm going to be next week isn't who I am this week. God is good. But let me tell you, we have a responsibility to it. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. If we're to be a disciple, we're to live a crucified life just as Jesus was crucified. Matthew 16, 24 says this. This is Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, if anybody wants to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Let's, let's, Let's work through that for a second. And I know I'm going to run a little bit over, but you know what? This is just good. You'll be all right. To say, deny yourself. What I'm literally saying is set my desires aside. What I want doesn't matter anymore. What makes me happy doesn't matter anymore. What is convenient for me doesn't matter anymore. Obedience to the word of God in full pursuit with everything that I am of him is what matters. I'm going to set everything else aside because he is Lord and I'm not. To pick up my cross means to pick up my cross. It doesn't mean to pick up his cross. It doesn't mean to pick up your cross. It means you pick up your cross because your cross Looks different than my cross. Your cross looks different than my cross. Because you got different stuff you got to put to death than I got to put to death. Amen? Some of us deal with real issues. But you know what? Can I tell you, Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is capable of putting those things to death if we will deny ourselves that which we want and pick up our cross and put whatever it is, whatever those things are to death upon it and then to follow him all the days of our life. That's lordship. That's what being a disciple is. And it's hard. And If it wasn't hard, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to do it. But praise God he gave you that too. That's our responsibility. But let me tell you, water baptism won't save you. Jesus saves you. Grace through faith saves you. I just want to be clear about that. I don't, I'm don't. i not looking for legalism. I'm looking for obedience. But Jesus saved you because Jesus is the only name under heaven by which a man can be saved. So what is baptism? If it doesn't save you, what does it do? It says, I am making a Public confession of a spiritual reality. And when I do that, I'm saying I make a cognitive decision to lay my life down and I do it in front of you. For two reasons. There's a reason why I'd always recommend being baptized inside of the church that you're attending. Now, if it's just you and one other dude around and God falls on you and you, you, need to give, you need to give your life to the Lord and then immediately be baptized, which I think you should, and there's only one other person around, so be it. But I think the accountability of the church structure is important. The reason why we do it up here, and I will kind of walk through this when we baptize folks, is twofold. One, it gives me the opportunity to introduce the one to the many, that is that one to the many people in his family or her family, which goes to the second reason, because if you're going to be their family, you have to hold them accountable to family structure. You can't live in my house and not obey my rules. You can't belong to the house of God and not obey the house of God rules. And so if I see a brother out here in town and he's doing something that is opposed to the confession that he's made, both verbally and physically, I should have the confidence to go up to him because we're family and say, hey, man, that's not how Christians walk. That's not how we do in our house. That's what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. Amen? Finally, the last thing I would tell you is that water baptism is an appeal to the Godhead. Water baptism is an appeal to the Godhead. You guys, have you guys ever heard be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you have. I read it to you just a few minutes ago. Have you ever heard, be baptized in the name of Jesus? Yeah, you have. I read that to you too. Jesus said one, Peter said the other one. Which one was lying? What are you talking about, Pastor Jim? My church tradition says, in the name of Jesus. Well, my church tradition says, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So which is it? It's a declaration of the Godhead whether you say Jesus when you're baptizing or you say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when you're baptizing, the fact of the matter is, me as the person baptizing you, that's not my declaration to make. That's your declaration to make. You're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit or in the name of Jesus, which is to say the Godhead. In baptism, I am declaring and appealing to the Father who had a plan for my salvation. I am appealing to the Son who fulfilled the plan for my salvation, and I am appealing to the Holy Spirit who has empowered the plan for my salvation. Amen? Amen. we got to stop quabbling and squabbling and worrying and arguing about, well, you should do this or this little thing or that other thing. Let me tell you, you give your life to the Lord, and you'll be obedient water baptism. Let God work it out. If you think what I say while you're being baptized means whether or not your baptism sticks, you don't understand baptism. I'm saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you had a plan. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. He predestined us to his adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. He had a plan for you from the foundations of the earth to save you because he loves you and because the kind intention of his will required it of him, because of his very nature and character is mercy. It's good. And in baptism, I say, thank you, Lord, for that. In baptism, I... I make an appeal to the Son that fulfilled the plan. 1 Peter 3.18 For Jesus also died for sins once for all, the just and the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. You ain't do nothing by yourself. You're not capable of accomplishing anything by yourself. So I say, thank you, God, that because of your love and the kind intention of your will, because you were merciful, because you were compassionate, because you were full of loving kindness, you made a plan to save me and fulfilled that plan through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. And it's an appeal to the Holy Spirit. And that, that Holy Spirit empowers that plan in two ways so that we might walk in righteousness and so that we might work in the ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers me to righteousness. John 16 reads like this, and he, when he comes, because this was Jesus talking before he gave his life, the Spirit hadn't been sent yet. When he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. These are three separate things. I want you to know what it all is. It means from horizon to horizon of your life, the Spirit causes you to walk in righteousness. For sin, so that you may be made aware of who you were before Jesus and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For righteousness, so that you can keep in mind what Christ's likeness and what it is to walk in Christ's likeness actually looks like, so that you can be righteous. And then for the judgment, so that you can keep an eye on the hope that you have. Conviction happens to save me, to create righteousness in me, and to give me the focus and the hope of expectation of an eternity with God. And then he empowers for ministry. Acts eight. most of us are familiar with this text but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Isn't that interesting? That that which God has decided to do in you, he expects to do through you. Discipleship's not about us. It's about the people that haven't come to him yet. As we pursue together. Amen? And so I, I make an appeal to you. Have you given your life to the Lord? Have you been baptized? Because the Bible commands that we be baptized. But you know what? You can be baptized all day long. But if you haven't put your flesh to death, you're not accomplishing anything. You're just getting wet. You've got to be saved first you got to make a declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead first. That's the spiritual reality of the physical demonstration. And if you haven't done that, today's the day. Some of us, probably most of us, have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Maybe even all of us. But there may be some of us that even though we have We have drifted away. You guys ever fall asleep in a pool on a floaty? Right on. Like I, I go to sleep and I'm on this side of the pool and I wake up and due to no effort on my own part, I'm on the other side of the pool. That's how spiritual drifting happens too. I don't have to physically drift. I just have to physically not do nothing. I just have to say, you know what, my hands are off the wheel. I'm just going to let my life do whatever it wants to do. I'm not going to be obedient. And you will find yourself on the other side of that pool. So some of us need to give our life to the Lord perhaps. But some of us may need to give our life to the Lord again and ask him to take control back where we've released it. Amen.